To another episode of Rock Me Dead. I'm in quarantine and Wendell Hussey is in the studio. Yes, a uh, bit of a uh, sad turn of events, Wendell, mate. That uh, grey nomad that came up from Sydney that passed through Batuta about a week ago, that one I had a bit of a confrontation with in the uh, Daru Street public toilet about him pinching all the toilet paper from the council bathrooms. Turns out that old bastard had the coronavirus. So I'm having to quarantine in my French Quarter bed. If I knew that he was from Sydney and if I knew that he had the coronavirus, I would have punched the beard off his stupid baby boomer face. Wendell, luckily there's been a lot of rugby to keep me occupied in what this is my fourth day in. Mm, yeah, very frustrating. I mean, our mayor, Keith Carton, he said if anyone comes up into our shire with the virus and skirts our regulations, they will be thrown in jail. So that has happened. Thankfully, they are in the correctional facility just out of town there, but obviously very unfortunate that he has passed on the Sydney sneeze to you. No, 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 no mate. I have tested negative to it. I just have to stay put for two weeks. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to close contact, all that sort of stuff. Yep. In my 11 square metre studio bedsit. <laughs> Lots of room to roam. Yeah, thankfully there is plenty of footy on. Seems to be wall-to-wall over the weekends at the moment. Lots of sport on generally as well. Had Ash Barty win Wimbledon, had the Euros, State of Origin, bit of rugby league. Lots and lots of stuff on. The coverage on Stan, though, has just been incredible, like all the tennis. And one thing I did like, too, is that you can go back and you can revisit, you know, previous Wimbledons, uh, Mm. which, which... I have been doing. I went back to 2002 and I watched our Leighton win um, against Nalbandian. Oh was, yes, uh, I remember the that pon- was great. The that ponytail. Was back in 2002. Yeah, mm. mate. No, that was back. Uh, they both uh, had a shaved head for that game. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's so interesting to hear. You know, like the sound that the old rackets made. Like they just sound like you know a person's hanging out their window just. <laughs> With the handgun, you know, going mm. pop, pop, pop. That's what it sounded like. But, yeah, it's been fantastic. And one great thing, too, that I've been uh, looking at Stan is is that, that they just have every single game of rugby on around the world. It's made quarantining so much easier. Mm. Yeah, the last couple of weekends, if you wanted to, you could go from, like, 2 p.m. all the way through to... 6am the next day with wall-to-wall internationals of rugby. So I think a lot of people have been doing that. I I, uh, watched a fair bit of footy over the last couple of weekends, which has been good. And we've got plenty to talk about. We'll start off with the two Wallabies test matches. We're recording this just after the second Wallabies test match. So we've got a couple to recap. And a couple of test matches that make you say... Ruck me dead, hey Errol? Yeah, mate. I think we should start with the first one. I didn't think mm. that was a bad game. I mean, it was obviously a uh, a showcase of errors, but um, <laughs> it was a game that was just entertaining until the very end, except for maybe like the first 20 minutes to 30 minutes of that game, you know. Mm. I thought we were about to witness a homicide of an entire sporting code in this country. <laughs> I mean, like... For the French to send their B team out here and for them to put 
fast points on us in the first mm. half. I, I was like, well, maybe we should just give the World Cup in 2027 to Fiji because when they fucking turned up against <laughs> the All Blacks for like the first 50 minutes, like I know the score blew out, but they fucking gave it to those All Blacks. Yeah, they ripped in. They ripped and teared. I was a fever pitch before that first Wallabies game, and with about 20 minutes in, 15 nil down, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my God, what what is going on? <laughs> we just, just, just didn't turn up to play. It was kind of like you turn up to touch footy and you're playing against a team, maybe they're a man down or they, they look like they're pretty kind of pretty unfit, pretty average, and you just don't switch on. You just, you're going through the motions and all of a sudden you're down a couple of tries and then you have to start turning it on. And it's hard. It's hard to turn it on when they've already turned it on and you haven't turned it on. And that's yeah. kind of what it looked like for us. We eventually did turn it on and we played some good footy, but the first 30 minutes of that was error-strewn, some really bad decisions, bad errors, bad execution. You were going, oh my God, we're going to lose to a B-string French team here. Yeah, like I didn't think we really switched on into a mode that would allow us to win the game until basically the 80th minute. I mean, until that last fucking line out, I just didn't believe. I was like, well, fuck, yeah. you know, like... Yeah, we've but done it. this is why a team like the Wallabies will always have that X factor. I mean, mm. teams like... Like the All Blacks and England, they don't have, you know, that X factor that takes to win games in the dying moments. But we have two teams now, two countries which have built their brand of rugby on X factor rugby. Mm. Mm. And that throw to the back of the line at the 80th minute and the way that ball was chased, that is what you need to do. I might be a bit picky, but you should try and do that at every line out. You know, not just when the game is on the line. I mean, you, you just need to actively hunt that ball at all times. And, look, you can really tell that we do have a Kiwi coach because people are playing in their position where, you know, back in the day when we had, you know, a couple of Australian coaches, you know, it was just you've got to play this unstructured, flowing rugby that has served us well in the past and now... Are we heading back down the same dark avenue we did with Robbie Deans? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a concern. The end to that first game, in all my young years on this big floating rock, I've never seen anything like that. Like all that all the French have to do is win their line out, drop it on the ground, knock it on, fall on the ball, kick it, fumble it over the side, like just do anything and somehow they like bat it back and then their 10 goes like, oh, I'm not going to kick it out. I'm going to just like uh, under pressure offload it to the nine who's going to like kick it out and then the nine tries to get it and he doesn't quite get it because Taniela Tupo folds him. Like the yeah. intensity coming through with Taniela Tupo, as you mentioned, that was incredible. Like that, that saved the match for us and he comes through, Tate scoops it up. Um, yeah, uh, unbelievable. I feel like that's the kind of shit the Wallabies do to lose test matches. For us <laughs> to win a game like that was and that for me that was a really special feeling because normally it's just like ah uh, okay yep we gave up the penalty with a pretty shitty carry in midfield that's it game over we lose. 2021 yeah. just like every other year beforehand. But no, somehow we found a way to. To win that game. I mean, probably one of the biggest bedshits you'll ever see from the French there. True. I, I, like, in terms of bedshit proportions, I'm not sure what comes close to that. It was pretty incredible to lose the game like that. But, um, yeah, glad we got it. I, I kind of feel like it did paper over some of the pretty bad cracks in that game. <laughs> 
um, in terms of our attack yeah. and our defence, as you said. Well, you know, as the rugby news media has labelled it, it was a very ugly win, but, you know, ugly wins are still a win. But mm. just going back to that line-out, I mean, that throw from the replacement French hooker was about as crooked as a state government. <laughs> I mean, it was just like that. It went straight to the man, the referee, you know, had his fucking eyes painted on for most of the yeah. game. But look, that just goes to show that the Wallabies have learned to create chances. At the same time, they mm-hmm. have learned to to really squander chances. But I think that isn't as important as, you know, learning to generate these chances to score. But yep. it's just, we do have this ability to play such a positive type of rugby, but for some reason, we just fucking don't all the time. It's almost like playing the All Blacks when they were in, in the doldrums in the mid-90s is that, you know, they get a couple of points put on them and then the wheels just fall off. Mm. You know, yeah, they give I mean, up. Where, where mm. Going back to what uh, happened in this first game, we didn't give up, which was great. No. I mean, like, a couple of years ago, the Wallabies would get, you know, absolutely smoked in the first half and then you know, we just wouldn't turn up for the second half. And it'd be a real rollover for the second half there and we'd be in big trouble. Good to see us finding a way to win. And that's 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 what I told myself after the game. I was like, look, we found a way to win. And that's something that's a positive which we haven't had in the past. Yeah. Winning is a habit. It's what every single coach would tell you. Winning is a habit and we need to get into the habit of doing it. And that's what I thought we were doing at the end of that first game. Um, and on that positive rugby note I, I agree with you like there's patches there where we play really nice exciting rugby good positive rugby but it's just kind of it's not balanced no. we then play really dumb rugby sometimes That's like the thing that I've been noticing is particularly in our own half the way the game is at the moment where it's just so easily to get penalized um around the breakdown and if you get penalized against a team like French you concede three points. So you or you lose three points yep. if you concede a penalty in your own half against a team like the French. And so, like, off kickoffs and when we've got the ball in our own half, we decide we're just going to run the ball and we're going to go out the back. Like, we go this big out-the-back backline move yeah. and then the back spread it out wide and then someone gets isolated on that phase or the next phase and then we concede three points. It's like we play some good positive rugby. Like, you'll get Marika Korobiti off the kickoff. He'll sprint back into the line, get over the gain line. And we go, oh, that's awesome. How good was that? Like, Corabiti just made 10 meters. That was unreal. And then we get a quick phase off that, and we make another five meters. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. And instead of going cash out, bank our win, take the win, whatever it is, and kick the ball down the other end and go, bang, we're going to put the French back in their own 22 and make them kick out of there or make them defend, we get greedy. We're like, yeah, let's do that again and again and again. We keep chasing the win. We keep chasing the win. You know what I mean? We don't know when to walk away. We don't know when to just go eject. All right, that was great. We got a couple of couple of easy carries we've got 10 15 meters let's kick it back down there and play smart because we so many times i reckon we're getting penalized in around like the 40 meter line there because we just we get a couple of early carries that go so well and then we get greedy and we get caught that's the saying you know you get greedy you get caught yeah i agree with you there but um it's just i think it comes back to having a kiwi coach really it is very kiwi to spread the ball it's an overutilization of the backs Really. Mm. I mean, if you go back through and you look at the great test rugby teams of all time, you know, you're going back to the Millennium Era Wallabies, you're going back to the post-Millennium Era English team, you know, like the forward pack that won the 2003 World Cup down here, 
the median age of that English forward pack was like 36 or 37. They had almost 900 test caps between them all. Mm. And it's, it's just every good team has such a solid base in the forward pack and, and mm. every good team uses their forward pack to actually gain meters. Like, it's all good and well for you to spread the ball to your backs and they run it up, but then if they run too far away, then you're just going to turn the ball over. You need, mm. as a back, you need to use the forwards to your advantage. I mean, there is no point mm-hmm. in getting that ball and just running sideways and trying to run around your marker. As a back, insides and outsides do this. Anyone who's ever played rugby as a forward knows that if you're a centre, if you're a winger, and if you're isolated, if you're running into fucking trouble, just run directly at your forward pack. Don't yeah. fucking run for the sideline, don't because you, you'll fucking lose the ball. Yes. And as I've had you scream at me down at training numerous times, Errol, backs win, backs ball. You know what I mean? It's, it's that yeah. thing. You either got to go back to the forwards and get help, or if the backs want to go wide, if they want to chance it, if they want to go the step and beat their winger, the other backs have got to get there. The fullback, the center, they've got to get there and they've got to clean out and they've got to secure the ball. Cause that's they've got to get their jerseys dirty. I know, I know. Get the hair they out of place. They have to get a little bit of dirt on their white boots. They Fix need it to up fucking... at half time. Get the comb out. No dramas. I mean, at this level, you can go off and there'll be a new pair of boots there. There'll be a new jersey for you. Fuck, there'll be... You could even have a shower mm. if you're a winger. You, <laughs> there's, you know? there's plenty of time. I mean, as a winger, you can go off, you can have a shower, you can do your hair, you can, you know, clean your boots and you can come back out and you can get dirty again. Yeah, the tools are there at your disposal. And one other thing I will say about the backs as a back myself, do not run over the sideline unless you are more than 50% chance of scoring a try. It's happened now like probably six or seven times across these first two tests, just running out. Like going too near the sideline and either getting held up and carried out or trying to beat the winger on the outside with a metre of space and then eventually getting tackled out. Do not run out unless we're playing with a a situation where you're more than a 50% chance of getting past them and scoring a try. Unless you're going to score a try, don't run out. Run back in field. Run straight. If there's a seven coming across at full speed at you or a big number eight, you just got to go back at him because you can't get tackled out over the sideline as a professional footy player. No. It, more, than, more than once a game. It's I ridiculous. Mean, and, then, and then as a back, don't give away three points. Just turn the fucking ball over. Get tackled, mm. place the ball, and if our backs aren't prepared to get down and dirty, don't fucking just cough the ball up. I mean, yeah. giving them three points as opposed to a turnover, is madness. It's yes. crazy. Particularly with the French, because they'll just, as uh, Yamane does, he just hits yeah, them from they everywhere. they will punish you. So those are, some of the, those are some of the frustrating elements out of that um, first game, which a few of them seem to carry across to the second game. But at the end of the first game, we got the win, and we thought, you know, maybe this is the start of things, got the W, rolling into next week, we'll be better for it. Lots of talk about cohesion, because we picked the same team. Everyone's saying, yep. righto. Cohesion will be better for it. We'll be able to put aside this French team, and then we uh, we came out. We came out in the second test match down there in Melbourne, and it yep. was it was a little bit sloppy. Tuesday again. night in Melbourne. Yep, it was a pretty good turnout. Twenty thousand yeah. people. Twenty thousand people on a cold winter's night in Melbourne, like Tuesday night. That is the definition. Yeah, of mate. Night. I know. I know that we like to hang. A lot of shit on Victorians, people in Melbourne especially, but, you know, they do turn up. 
they love being out of their house. Like, they fucking yeah. love it. Yeah. I can understand now why the lockdown was so tough for people in Melbourne because, <laughs> fuck, they just hate being in their house. I mean, if there's a game of rugby union on at Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, they come out and they buy the jerseys, they yeah. put on the, the berets and they come out and they yeah. just... They fucking cheer, they're loud, they're good. I mean, like, yeah, look, I think we've been a bit wrong about people down in Melbourne. I mean, they're not too bad. Like, people in Adelaide, you know, they're fucking weird, but, you know, at least they're quiet about being weird. Credit where credit's due. There was a lot of people out there on a Tuesday night, and they, as you said, a lot of yeah. merch got. Like, there was fresh Wallabies berets. Like, they were bought less than 20 no. minutes before so they on tv so so to get your hands on a gold beret i saw this on the wallabies instagram to get your hands on a uh, on a gold beret you need to be a gold ticket owner so basically when you go to the footy um, there's different classes of ticket that you can buy you i think the cheapest ones are the alcohol free um Sandwich down in Melbourne, I think it'd be uh, pretty bloody empty because they mm. love a drink down there. There's fucking more bars than there are bloody, you know, coffee shops down there. And that's saying something. But yeah, so there's the uh, economy seats, alcohol free, uh, blue zone, fan zone, then gold zone, then obviously, uh, yeah, platinums for uh, the yacht owners uh, down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, we just made. I think that's one thing we do have to cover is that, you know, if you follow this game, then you've obviously heard this week about those people from down in, in New South Wales, you know, that tech company CEO, he chartered that yacht to come up from New South Wales to Brisbane or the Goldie. He came up there to watch the Wallabies play. I'm not talking about like a modest yacht that some old bloke has who sails around the world who lives a humble life we're talking about it you know like a baby super yacht like this doesn't have any fucking sales this thing <laughs> apparently costs seventeen thousand dollars a day and one thing about this i mean like as it is bad enough like these blokes coming up and lying about where they've been yada 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 we would be the first people to admit that rugby union has a severe image problem in this country that you know it's often seen as the game of the elites you know like on the same kind of echelons as polo and horse racing and whatnot but it's just it's potentially the most rugby story you'll see all year pretty incredible the seventeen thousand dollars a day as you said like you hear about you know people from townsville and cairns driving down 18 to 20 hours down to sydney to go and watch the grand final there when the cowboys finally made the grand final and then you've got four men uh hiring a luxury super yacht from sydney and traveling up to brisbane to watch the wallabies play a b-string french team and um get around it the thing that i found kind of the most interesting about it is they got fined four thousand dollars each like what are you doing? That's a couple of bottles Mate, of wine and some cheese for the boys. Four thousand dollars. The thing costs eighteen grand a day, and you're going to find four thousand dollars each. As you said, is is what they'd spend on drinks at lunch. Go and find the SCG membership and tear that up. Do something that's actually going to punish them. But one thing that would really punish them, though, is that our Anastasia, she could have just told them to get back on their boat and fuck off back down to New South Wales. She didn't though. She fined them. And then she threw them all into hotel quarantine. I mean, that is a fate worse than death. Could you imagine being worth fucking millions and millions and millions of dollars and then, 
you get fucking pinged, you get fined. That's fine. It's it's only money. But the fact <laughs> that they take two weeks of your fucking life, I mean, there's absolutely no chance that you have the coronavirus. They mm. take two weeks of your life, yeah. they throw it in the fucking bin, and you have to sit in a travel lodge next to the Brisbane airport for 14 days. Eating you foods and drinking instant coffee. Yeah. Your fucking food is coming in a box and you throw it in the microwave. Doing that for two weeks yeah. as as a person who probably has a fucking personal chef. The chef is probably on that boat now, like saying, who the fuck am I cooking for? Yeah, he's just hanging out for a couple of weeks until he can take the boys home. Anyway, they would have been watching. Um, they would have been watching the second game from the confines of their hotel quarantine on Stan Sport. I'd say. Um, so we should get back to that yep. second game there. Yeah, there was lots of talk about all that cohesion stuff that the boys had come out. They'd be um, they'd be more switched on. They'd be ready to go. Fast start, all that sort of stuff. We got a little bit of a fast start, <laughs> but it yeah. fizzled out, and all of a sudden we're down six nil, and we're down thirteen three. Yeah. Minutes yeah, if you want to know Again. where this game was won and lost, it was won on the boot of Geminer. He uh, kicked seven penalty mm. goals. Seven. He was fire. Like, he was hitting them from anywhere, and yeah. they were never missing either. Like, straight off the boot, you're like, yep, that's it. A couple of Noahs, like, I, I was kind of vibing the swerve on them. Like, they look like they're going wide, and then they hook back. But Yaminet, uh French pronunciation isn't uh, my strong suit, as I mentioned on this podcast before. Jaminet. Well, you know, two weeks ago, you you know, you were telling me that we have to be looking out for this hot goal kicker called Jaminet. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was confused so, yeah. when they were talking Getting about better. this Jaminet. I was like, geez, he kicks like that Jaminet guy I've heard about. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a little bit confusing. But, yeah, he was, he was pinging them from everywhere, and he was punishing <laughs> us for all the mistakes that we were making in game one, and I thought we would maybe fix up in game two. Um, running the ball out of our own 22 yeah. and then conceding penalties. And well, I think that, uh, for it. you know, because both teams conceded 12 penalties each, I think it basically just came down mm. to the French applying pressure to our forwards um, when they were in our half, and that resulted in them getting the three every single time, really. But And then the mm. penalties that we got, uh, I think... Like four of them were, were like inside our own twenty-two, so we'll, you know we can't score points from there. Yeah, you know we haven't got the socks down country boy Chris Latham who can kick him from sixty-five. We don't have him anymore. He's probably no lovely burgeoning career in fucking Christ knows what up in Queensland. Yeah, good for good for Chris, but I think the big problem for the current team was our our breakdowns. We were we were like the gutters at the end of the autumn season, just clogged up. We could not get a clean out. We couldn't get any clean ball because the French they were just hammering our breakdown and disrupting it so hard. We couldn't get clean ball. Tate at the end of the game actually he gave a pretty candid interview and just said it just wasn't good enough. It was yeah. it just wasn't good enough at all. We need to work on carrying clean because we can't be serving up ball like that and we're going to get punished. And it's not good enough for the team and it's not good enough for the fans. Which was refreshing to see someone come out and just be honest and say that sort of stuff rather than trot out the traditional cliches yeah you know well that's because you know rugby has found a new home on stan on fox sports there was a bit of a company line that they had to follow there but one thing that has been really refreshing about having rugby on stan is that they do have you know such a different commentary team and you know they do get Mm. far more honest opinion and analysis yeah but look, like I feel like Fergo, Fergo is really good. Alana Ferguson has been really spot on, and she's not afraid to basically 
take shots and mention people and just be honest about the way the game was played. Like she said after the game there, she's like, if there was as much intensity from the rest of the team as there was from Hooper and Corabiti, we would have won by a lot of points. There wasn't urgency. There wasn't intensity. She said that, you know, and she was was speaking similar to Tate, pretty candid about the performance and calling people out. You know, she said, oh, Jake Gordon had a better game than last week, but still wasn't really good enough. And um, I I thought that was refreshing to hear someone in the studio straight after the game just aim up and um, give a pretty frank and honest opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, if you go back and look at... The match statistics, it does kind of look like it was a pretty one-sided game to us. The French, you know, they made almost twice as many tackles as we did, but they won 10 turnovers to our two, and we conceded a lot of turnovers. What did you think about that last turnover, actually? I feel like the French guy was not supporting his weight at all. His hand was on the ground as he was pilfering the ball. Yeah, well, that goes back to um, one really long standing issue that rugby has had for a long time and that is you know the quality of refereeing has just not it's just Mm. i mean like sure the players are ultimately responsible for what happens on the field you know like they're ultimately responsible for the result but good Mm. grief i mean so like some of the refereeing has just been fucking appalling i was i was really worried when i saw dolman step out at the start of the game i was like oh no i mean Oh, no. I felt the he, same. He did it the was, Hurricanes Reds game. It was, game, an, it, which it was is a repeat of that game. I've seen. I mean, it's just. Mm. Oh. I mean, it, it's park footy. It's a bloke. Yep, it's it was, a bloke who's turned up to referee a game and he's wearing his high vis from work. That's what it's like. It's bush league. It's a referee wearing Dunlop volleys with a whistle. You could see there were times as well where he was like. It felt like he was hesitant, like to give Australia the try, particularly that last try for oh. Uber. He was like, he, he, did, he didn't want to give it. And he was like, uh, yep, so you, yep, okay. So, yeah, we mm, yeah, we have got a try here. Yep, no, okay, they, cool. And he would give the try. They, you know. The first try that we scored with Corabetti, oh, that almost made me fucking just turn off the fucking television. I mean, I mean yeah, to that, fuck, that was frustrating. to, to no award one. a try, it's on the board. And then to fucking waste five minutes gibbering on about fucking nothing, and then to say, "Oh, it's actually come off his bicep, everything below the shoulder." It's such a load of shit that it kills the fucking game. I mean, there was so much yeah. momentum on both teams. I mean, and then to stand around for five minutes, get cold while this bloke's gibbering to some sky referee about something. People wonder why people are turning off. I mean, it's just yeah, case it- in point. Two touches and a ref, miss it real time. Make a decision. Right there, don't see it. We go a couple of phases and then we score and then we decide to go back to that. It's there's all just that was make particularly a decision and stick with it. I mean, could you see that happening in rugby league? No, they they. I feel like they don't go back. It would be something that the tackle. pundits just fucking argue about on you know the midweek NRL show and be like, this was a terrible call, blah blah blah, and then it's over. Yeah. It's next week. There'd be, a, there'd be a public hanging and Peter Vlandes would, watching the game, just make a decision and all of a sudden there'd just be some mandate fixing that and then that would be it. Um, yeah, but it's it just was, it's yeah. storming a teacup shit. I mean, just didn't want to play advantage, you know, just stop, start, stop, start. It's fucking traffic light rugby. Yeah, yeah it was Except frustrating. That- and it looked, though, that we'd kind of got past it and we were going to sneak another win somehow, that the winning was going to become a habit, minute to go, we're up. And uh, then we give away, and then give away a scrum in our own half. The French 
apply the pressure. They just yep. applied the pressure to the breakdown. The experience shone through, and they got the penalty. <laughs> Notice how they, when they turned over the ball with like twenty seconds to go, they didn't kick for the line out. <laughs> <laughs> They took yeah. as long as they possibly could, and then they're like, right, we're tapping and going here. Every single forward get within five metres of the tap here. We are just going to kill this ball and kick it out. And they, they yeah. did it. So we're one apiece, and we basically needed a miracle in the last minute of the last game to stop us from being 0-2 against a B-string French side on home soil. Yep, a lot of positives to take yep. from that, I'm sure. Yep. Um, yep. Positives, I will say, from it are Hooper, Korobiti, and Pasami, and Tupo as well. I mean, that cutout pass from Tupo to Jake Gordon, that's hot. That's really hot. Tupo can do yeah. it all. Um, it was pretty funny, actually, in the pregame warm-up. He was chatting to Stan and doing some of the lightest run-throughs, the lightest run-throughs, and he was just panting so hard trying to talk. <laughs> Just love it. Real front roller stuff. But yeah. he was he was really good. And Hooper and Corabiti were unbelievable as well. Like Corabiti yeah. just has a motor and he just goes so hard. He runs straight at players. And when he makes a break, every single time it seems to be Hooper is a guy just straight there, you know. Obviously, like yeah. we're not playing the strongest French team and it seems like maybe subconsciously that's kind of in their minds. It's you know, like it's a it's a retail situation where you've got those middle managers who are just one hundred percent committed. Ugh. You know, they're making sure they're yeah. facing up. They're making sure the store opens on time, the store closes on time. Yeah, they're making sure all the um all the items are displayed properly. The side of the aisles have the correct marketing on them. Everything like that's perfect. And then you've got you know eleven or twelve other guys who are just they're just there for a paycheck. You know, whether they're studying at uni or they don't care too much about their job, they're just turning up. They're getting their paycheck and going home. I need to show the same intensity and effort. As the uh, as the likes of Hooper and Corabini and Pasami, as Alana was saying, you know, like Pasami was getting over the gain line. Cannot it seems like it's impossible for him to get tackled behind the gain line. Just gets over the gain line every single time, and he was doing honest work as well. He was just taking hit ups and going hard, same as Corabini and Hooper. So I think we need to find we need to find a way for the other boys to match those effort levels going forward if we're going to do anything. I think. Yeah, I think uh, I was a bit skeptical of uh, old Hoops coming back having chase the yen uh, over in Japan uh, for the first half of the season. But look, he's come back into this team and he's slotted right in. It's almost like he never left and he's leading from the front. He's just a quality captain. I mean, yeah. he scored a try in each game simply just because he's fucking been there. Yes, yeah, just pure he's always effort. there. Pure effort. And I'll take my Reds hat off and, you know, there's all those all those arguments and people sledge him online about being Australia's fifth best outside centre, et cetera, et cetera, because he's not a traditional seven. But his effort levels are incredible. He yeah. is always there and he is always busting his gut. Like, he was in so much pain after scoring that try. I don't think he was injured. He's just heart was about to fucking explode because he yeah. had just been running so hard. And he got back and he put in more effort again. Yeah, he, he's incredible. I know he like he's not a pure, pure turnover god like Pocock was, but no. in terms of everything else that he does, he's incredible. And, and our attacking rucks, actually, every single time he's in an attacking ruck, ball is just served cleanly. Like, he can do it by himself. He'll take one of the forwards to ground, get over the top, secure the ball right there on a the platter. Yeah, no, he is just hes just a fantastic player. And he, he is a hybrid. He is a bit of a roving seven. But um, I think that's great, though. I mean, he's going to inspire the next 
generation of, of you know loose forwards to come up and mm. to play a far far more aggressive brand of rugby than yep. what we've seen historically you know except for the likes of you know George Smith and Phil War Chris Whitaker they yep. they really paved the way for the likes of you know your Richie McCaws to come mm. through and for the loose forwards to actually play a really critical part in both attacking and as well as their traditional defensive roles. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, he'll definitely be there again for this third test, but I feel like there may be a bit of a change in the back row. We need to get a bit more of a balance, try and find someone who's a bit more of an on-baller. I think yeah. there'll be a few changes across the board. That's what Dave Rennie said. He said they're going to change things for the for the third test. But So it'll be interesting to see, keep an yeah. eye on those changes, which will probably be coming out today or tomorrow. I'm uh, hoping to see uh, Fergus Lee Warner's name in there. I think he is a... Ooh. He's well-deserving of a gold jersey uh, for this last game in this series, that's for sure. Like, Fergus loves I the mean, tough stuff. You've seen a lot of people come through in these last two games who are playing their first games. I mean, like people like Andrew Kellaway come to mind. He played great last night. Yeah, he was really thought, good yeah. in terms of his positional play, his effort. You know, just coming off the bench and bringing an added intensity into you know what was a pretty flat backline for the yeah. most part. And I actually think it speaks measures of his attitude and where he's at because he coming through was like the hottest thing since Kurtley Beal. You know what I mean? He was just scoring tries for fun at a schoolboy level, straight up through Randwick into the Waratahs, was unreal, was just going to move straight on to the Wallabies, but then something uh, happened. Checker kind of held him back a little bit potentially. And then he went away. He went to Europe. He played a couple of years in Europe. And he's come back and he just looks really mature he looks really switched on and he looks like he's just a heaps smarter player more physical stronger he looks like a he fits in a wallaby's back line now yeah mate absolutely stinks of a joe roth style career here i mean he's gonna mm. get his 50 to 100 test cap score a fucking wedge of tries and then have a very successful post rugby career in something yeah, things are things are things looking are looking up. A- you know, just, things are looking just, good for AK forty seven. Just just as long as he stays away from a career in fucking newspaper journalism, then he should be fine. Yeah, he might, might make some money. Eh? Just a couple of things on the French yeah. uh, that I picked out. Uh, they apparently actually got on the same plane as the boys um, on Tuesday <laughs> night afterwards. So imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Hey, uh, I reckon the they'd French be fine. Boys singing. You know, oh, like, but the French boys would be so happy. They'd be singing and dancing, a uh, few red wines. Um, maybe maybe the leftovers of that charcuterie board that was popping up at halftime yeah. that the boys were ripping into That's cool. in the middle of 80 minutes of high-intensity cardio. <laughs> Love to see it. Have some camembert um, and fucking eight jats and then go back out there. <laughs> but I reckon yeah. if I had a gut full of soft cheese and some biscuits and then had to go and fucking run my guts out for 40 minutes... Like that cheese would be on the paddock in fucking thirty seconds. Oh, I cannot imagine not vomiting after eating some just, nice smooth like, blue cheese at half time. And a glass of red wine and like a gitin bleu. Yeah, yeah. Surprise no cigarettes actually in the halftime changing room for the French boys. Yeah, no. Um but yeah, so they they would have been on the plane with the Aussie boys, uh, having a great old time. So I'd be curious to see what the chat is out of that. The other thing I the other couple of things I found interesting was um the French coach, the style on him, the those kind of um servo sunnies, the suit with the white sneakers as well. Looks like a real character. Yeah. 
Gatier. Yeah. Now we should move along to some of the international footy that's been going on over the last couple of days. The Lions tour. Um, by the time you're listening to this, they may have just played their game against South Africa A, or they may be about to play their game yeah. against South Africa A, which, as everyone is saying, looks like the Springboks minus say a Mapimpi and a Khaleesi. Yeah. So they're playing on Thursday morning at four o'clock in the morning. So. Uh, Make sure to set your alarm clocks, or if you have a brain, um, you just hop up in the morning and put the uh, extended highlights package, which is available on on stand for every game. Put that on, mm. you know, go about your morning chores and just have that on in the background. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be some absolutely stunning highlights from this first game of what is touted to be the series uh, of the year. Yeah, I mean, I um, I normally go for a run and a swim out at uh, Lake Batuta there, a bit of a bit of an early start. So I'll just get up a little bit earlier and um, and watch this game live. I reckon uh, it should it should be a cracker because the Lions are playing a different brand of footy than what we've seen recently. I still don't think they've kicked a penalty goal in the four games they've played on their tour. They have been mincing the South African team. They played the Sharks twice because the Bulls couldn't play their game against them due to all the COVID um, cases popping up in their team. So they had to play the Sharks and they just did a job on the Sharks twice in a row. So yeah. feeling for them. But this this should be a little bit different. It should be interesting to see whether they keep the running rugby going against pretty much a full-strength South African team who like to dish out physical punishment as you would have seen in the 2019 World Cup final against England so it should be should be a really interesting one um if if of course there are no more covid cases in both teams before the game goes ahead that's been wreaking havoc with heaps of players having to drop out and miss training and isolate because of contacts and yeah. um and positive tests so uh, that whole tour hangs in the balance really in all honesty they really should have just fucking played it in perth i mean there's mm. probably more Springboks fans in Perth than there are in South Africa these days. And, you know, the situation over there has just gone from bad to worse. I mean, the government's on the verge of collapse. There's rioting and looting in the street. COVID's running wild, you know. Yeah, not not an ideal situation there. But, you know, that doesn't um, detract from the absolute, you know, smorgasbord of rugby action that's coming up out no. of uh, the bottom tip of the African continent. I'm probably not going to get up uh, and watch this game at 4 o'clock in the morning because, you know, I unfortunately still have a full-time job so I can't be, you know, getting up at 4 o'clock like I'm some sort of tech CEO <laughs> or, you know, some fitness fanatic. I'll probably hop up at, you know, half past... Seven at first, kind of light here in the Simpson Desert. You know, might uh, roll over, have a JPS Blue in bed, ash into a Mount Franklin bottle, hop up, turn the kettle on. Uh, you know, watch the news. You know, I'll be taking it pretty easy because it's a Thursday morning. It's fucking payday. Um, I'll have uh, the highlights on in the background. And it'll be great. What a Thursday. And then you get to roll into the weekend and you get plenty more footy on. Tonga and Samoa are going to go at it again after Samoa greased the uh, the plumbers and the school teachers and the police officers and the personal trainers uh, last <laughs> weekend. So I'll probably do that Mate, again. And then the... Mate, just quietly, mm. I reckon the Fijians, mate, they are going to be the value bet of this round. 
I hold grave concerns for them this round. <laughs> I reckon they they came out, they gave it their all. There was the whole the the heat of the moment. It was like the motivation, the hype, everything around it. They lived up to the moment and they ripped in that first test against the All Blacks for ages. They were just so physical, so strong. Um, and the All Blacks were sloppy. Like they were pretty sloppy in terms of their clean out and their breakdown, and also just errors like Bodie running to the line with no penalty advantage and just doing a grubber kick that gets scooped up by the yeah. Fijians and off they go. I reckon this week we might see a very clinical All Black side that just come out yeah. and just play really, really smart clinical footy. And a they, very boring All Blacks. A team. very boring All Blacks team that spent yeah. sixty minutes basically just breaking playing down your like. Yeah, breaking their soul, and then with 20 minutes to go, they just run in like seven tries because they've just busted the Fijians <laughs> for 60 minutes, and then things just open up. So I hold grave concerns. Grave yeah. concerns there. But we'll see, mate. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway. I've been wrong lots and lots of times. And then there's uh, there's all the other internationals as well. Uh, England and Ireland have been doing jobs on Canada and the US. But the Welsh and uh, yeah. Argentinians Los are going to go at it again. Huge, Huge draw. Huge draw Huge. for Los Pumas against the against the Welsh. Played with a man down for like fifty minutes. Although really, really disappointed in the fact that I uh, won't get to see the Georgians take on the Scots. That would have been an absolute clanger. Mm. That game's been cancelled. Uh, you know, probably because of COVID. Who knows? But I reckon we've had the best preparations uh, to play the All Blacks. I mean, the All Blacks, God bless them. They probably don't need the preparation because, as any Kiwi will tell you, they're just an unstoppable force. But I don't think they've had the best preparation by going out into the South Pacific and absolutely eviscerating these poor island nations. I think, Mm. you know, first game against the All Blacks uh, in the first weekend of August, I think, that's going to be pretty tough. It's at the House of Pain, but... uh, Strategic the way you know, they always stranger do. Things have hap- s- mate, stranger things have yes. happened. Yeah, stranger yeah, we're seeing strange things happen all the time in this new era. So, you know, maybe maybe we will, we will see. One some. game I am really, really looking forward to is actually happening in November. Whenever these two countries play each other, it is an absolute out-and-out contest. I mean, like, more so than, I guess, us in the French is when we play Wales. It's just an abs- mm. always, always just a quality game. And always one that we seem to win. By always one that final. we always just get over. Except for World Cup quarterfinals. Um, but we, we won't talk uh, about that for too we, long. We, we won't dwell on that. No, no. But no. other than that, mate, I think it's been a pretty solid pod. Yeah, yeah. Well, one quick thing I reckon we should, um, we should wrap up that's not pure pure rugby news but has caught the eye of plenty of rugby fans this week has been quake cooper yes actually yes we should touch on that before we go what an absolute crime against fucking good taste i mean so for people who don't know quade cooper is is seeking to become an australian citizen so he can vote so he can do things like that mm. He has played 70 games for the Wallabies, scored an absolute swagger tries. He's paid probably millions of dollars in fucking income tax. He's raised his family here. He moved here when he was 12. He's done an absolute great service to this game of rugby in this country. And the Immigration Department, Home Affairs Department, whoever the fuck puts the stamp on the application, they knocked him back again because apparently... His job doesn't bring that much 
to the Australian economy, to the Australian people, to warrant him being a citizen. I mean, yeah, doesn't doesn't engage in enough activities to benefit uh, Australia. What an absolute load of shit! There is nothing more beneficial to Australia than a man dropping his knees into the back of Richie McCaw and open hand palming him on the ground in a Low Cup test match. That is yeah. the most beneficial thing anyone can do for this country. And the fact that Quade Cooper is not being recognised for that is no. frustrating and appalling. I mean, he's born in New Zealand. He is a Kiwi. And him driving his knee into an all-black... And not just any all black, like we're not talking about, you know, your fucking ones that come out of a dairy in Christchurch for two games and then go back into the doldrums. We're talking about the all black. We're talking about Richie McCaw. The king all black. Driving his knee into Richie McCaw and palming him in the face and say, come in through the back next time, you fucking, you Lego head prick, you know? Like, he has done such a service to this country and for this government, for this fucking government, to knock him back is just disgraceful. Yeah, it feels like there's some public servant who just looked at the application, maybe just wasn't really familiar with rugby or who Quade Cooper was and was just like, oh, okay, he's just you know, this guy. Um, no, uh, we don't think we're going to give him the citizenship. You know, We're used to rejecting applications, so yeah, we'll just reject this one, chuck it on the pile. And then, obviously, Quade Cooper has a little bit of status and has quite a few followers, so he can fire up about it. I mean, and, um, like, yeah, it's- it took me about four or five years for me to become a citizen here i moved here i had a chinese passport and i had a british passport i moved here it took me four years but that's because you were in the media they tend to give them to people in the media because they know that they can um, cause a bit of a song and a dance but fucking how hard is it for a kiwi to become an australian i mean yeah you imagine there'll be some blowback and some people making phone calls going, uh, let's reassess that application. Well, you'd let's hope get so. get that over the line so we don't get any blowback so we can continue uh, doing it to people who aren't as famous as Quade Cooper and no one will say anything. Yep. Anyway. Um, I think that'll do us for now, but it'll be good to touch base again on Monday next week, Errol, after a historic win, a series win against the French. Hopefully we don't let them win their first series down here for 50 years. Yeah, look, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to come back and uh, and we're going to pump them. So I don't think that's yep. going to be a problem. At least 20 to 30 points. Oh, e- easy. The boys just fire. Easy. No quick tap and goes. Uh, no shitty exits. We just come out. We get the job. We roll the French and then we're straight into the All Blacks. Perfect. And we beat them too. Yep. We yep. go over to Eden Park and we do a number on them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to it. Yep. It's... Uh, Something that I think we can all look forward to. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we will leave you with that positive thought after an interesting week. Hope you have a good week. Enjoy the rugby. Obviously, you can catch it all on Stan Sport. And we look forward to your company next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.